It doesn't take anybody long, uh, a new believer or, or however long, to take the New Testament and read at any point in the Gospels, and immediately you see the heart of Jesus. You see the heart of Jesus. Uh, think of the scripture of what Jesus' heart and his purpose was of the truth of why Christ came. Jesus came uh, on a rescue mission, if you will. Came on a rescue mission to, to uh, rescue those who are trapped in uh, uh, sin and their separation uh, before God. And you see this in Luke 19.10, uh, where you just, again, cursory as you just read through the New Testament, you see this example, the heart of Jesus. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Real simple, straightforward. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The heart of why Jesus came. And then if you really want to know what excites the Lord, uh, Luke 15, verses 4 through 7, where Jesus says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has not lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? until he finds it. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now look at verse 7. Just so, or in the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one lost person, who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If that is the heart of Jesus, uh, then that means that his followers, his disciples, that we are called to that same pattern, to have that same heart that Jesus had and uh, that what is important to him is important to us. You see that, you know, on, on Sundays when you might see the logo, you'll see the three C's where it says celebration, connection, and commitment. That commitment means being committed to the Great Commission, being committed to what Jesus is committed to, what he gave his life for. And so this morning, uh, the title of the message is How to Have a Heart for the Harvest. And we're going to look uh, where that metaphor of the harvest is used in Luke, or rather, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your own Bibles, it's always good to open them and uh, be a part of the, the message and to take a note or two and to uh, be engaged this morning. But Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35 through 38, we're going to look at this morning. And the Word of God reads in Matthew 9, verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed, and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, not our harvest, into his harvest. And so this morning, the title of the message, as I said, is how to have a heart for the harvest. Have a heart, really I could put in there, have a heart like Jesus for the harvest. Jesus uses that metaphor of the harvest, which speaks of a gathering, to identify the gathering of those that, that uh, would enter into the kingdom uh, in this agricultural society that Jesus lived in in this time frame. They, they were well acquainted with the harvest. And so this harvest, God, how do we have a heart like Jesus? And there's three ways I believe this passage helps us to understand that and learn that this morning. And the first is to have a heart for the harvest means we need the eyes of Jesus. We need the eyes of Jesus. Look at verse 36 and see the great need Jesus saw the great need, notice what he saw, the great need of lost people, spiritually lost. It says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, and there wasn't anything necessarily unusual in this crowd that was not uh, a part of any other crowd that was following him, but, but in this case, like I'm sure in other cases, there you know, may have been a few more sick, maybe a few more that were needing healing or had financial needs or whatever it is. But Jesus saw the crowds. Now, why do we make emphasis of that? Because there's places in the New Testament where his followers, his disciples, saw the same people. But you know what? They were annoyed by the crowds. It was a hassle. It was a bother to them. Um, They were annoyed. In fact, there's one place in Matthew where the disciples are quoted by saying, Send them away. Get them out of here. What a tragedy, right? Hey, get those people out of here. We got ministry to do. I mean, that's kind of silly, isn't it? And, and, and so sometimes we can have and get into that mode where we sometimes look at the needs of people, and even though we see them, we're not seeing them with the eyes of Jesus. Notice with me how Jesus saw the people in our passage here in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus saw lost people as harassed. They are harassed or distressed, the New American Standard says. Uh, that means they were troubled or vexed. Uh, it means it points to the, the, the load of problems that people were carrying. Uh, Jesus could see them and see that they were just harassed by life's problems. You ever sometimes just look at people, and uh, some of you might be people watchers, and you just see people maybe in the store or in the mall or wherever it is, and there's just something when you look at them, you see a great stress in their life. You don't have to hear about their story or know this story, but you can just look at them and know they're having a hard time with life. I've been around most of you now that uh, I can look at you on a Sunday or another day and I can just say, hey, what's up? What's the matter? You don't look right. Something's wrong here. 
Um, and I think some of you have said that to me. You're around and you get your familiarity, but we are around and we see a lot of, we're around a lot of distressed, harassed people, but do we see them the way Jesus sees them? Or are we just kind of looking past them? But Jesus saw not only people that were harassed, but our text says that he saw lost people as helpless or dispirited. One version says the me, the word means downcast, thrown down, beaten down, helpless. That's how Jesus saw the crowd. He saw them as helpless, forsaken people that are lost, that are in need of what he was bringing them, in need of what the Savior had. Some of you uh, who are readers may remember a book that was popular, and it's still a great book by author Philip Keller, and it was called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. A real shepherd giving some real insights into real shepherding and real sheep, but making analogies in a spiritual uh, uh, kind of way. Philip Keller is the name. And he describes how sheep can get turned over on their backs and not be able to get up by themselves again. And sheep that this happens to are called cast or cast down sheep. These sheep flail away at the air with their legs, but they can't get back up on their feet without the aid of the shepherd. Left in this condition, they're helpless, they're vulnerable uh, to their enemies, and they will die after a few hours or in a few days. What a picture of those apart from Christ, sinners that are apart from the good shepherd. Outwardly, things may look calm. Things may look fine. They may look successful in, in, in our worldly way. They look successful, not say, that, well, they don't have any problems. But Jesus sees the heart of people. How many times are you struck by hearing somebody on the news or some celebrity, celebrity or some well-known person and you find out that there, what was really going on in their life, or they take their life, or they have an overdose or something, and you think, wow, how could all that happen? Because all we're seeing is what? Up, down, upside down sheep flailing away, needing a shepherd. That's the eyes that Jesus saw them. And that's the other way, the third way that Jesus saw lost people, is he saw them as sheep. Without a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd guides them. A shepherd leads them to safety. A shepherd leads them to food, leads them to drink. But instead, uh, the people that should have been the shepherds, the religious leaders of this day and time, they weren't shepherding. They were actually a hindrance. Instead of pointing people to God, they wanted to point people to their self-righteous selves and religion. They were not any help. They, instead of feeding the, the flock, they fleeced the flock. They weren't shepherding them with compassion. They viewed people as a bother. I was thinking this morning when I was going over my notes, I was thinking about how I've known uh, and could name them, and it's not important, uh, churches, big mega churches, in which the pastor drives in to a private garage and he's up on the platform and does his thing with the other folks and then they have 
uh, a, a way where he doesn't have to go down and mix with the people. He's, you never see him. You'll never meet him. You'll never greet him because he's there and he kind of is shuttled off into his own little whatever world and he's on his way back home. He's not out there with the people. Listen, you can't, I'm talking about pastoral, you can't shepherd people unless you are getting among the sheep. And that's this uh, poison of this celebrity Christian culture that we're in. Listen, we don't need celebrities. We need shepherds to lead our flock, to lead our church. And so Jesus viewed these folks as sheep needing a shepherd. We need the eyes of Jesus not to be distracted by what, just what we see on the outside, but say, Lord, give me the eyes to see what's really going on in their heart. I remember a preacher used to tell his preacher boys that they were called, he said, always treat people with kindness because he said everybody is having a hard time with something. Isn't that true? That's not, that's, not, that's not just for preacher boys or preacher girls or whatever you want to say. That's for everybody. Be kind to one another because everybody is having a hard time with something, but they may not ever reveal it, but the Lord knows because we have, or He has eyes to see the heart. How we need the eyes of Jesus. I was, some of you may remember the name Madeline Murray O'Hare, a name that is from the past. And Madeline Murray O'Hare's infamous uh, uh, contribution to the culture is that she was the one that uh, led the uh, case against the Baltimore School District in 1963 that went and was eventually uh, led to the Supreme Court where prayer in public schools was overturned. Madeline Murray O'Hare was a renowned atheist led an organization called American Atheists. And if you ever watched her on an interview show or any type of dialogue, I remember she used to be on Phil Donahue. Remember Phil Donahue? Boy, that's a name for that's a blast from the past, right? Uh, but he, she would be on these shows, and she just always had, had such a vicious, vile, bitter attitude. Uh, and would speak about God and Christians with such, uh, with such vileness. But it's interesting that uh, when she died, sadly, she was a victim of a murder by another atheist, uh, that uh, kidnapping that went awry, and her daughter and a son and a granddaughter were murdered in this uh, uh, kidnapping scheme that went wrong. And they found her diary. They found her diary, and in multiple entries in her diary, she wrote repeatedly, somebody, somewhere, love me. And how ironic that the very one who gave his life to demonstrate his love for the Madeline Murray O'Hares of the world, she never knew. No record that she ever in fact, just the opposite. We need the eyes of Jesus. We need the eyes of Jesus to see hurting people. Listen, hurting people don't wear neon signs blinking, love me, I'm hurting. Do they? Jesus not only saw the great need of the people, but part of having the eyes of Jesus 
is verse 37. Jesus also saw and had eyes as part of this need. He saw the great harvest of lost people. Remember, harvest is just a metaphor for the gathering. He says in verse 37, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, or great, one version says. He wanted his disciples, his followers, to see that God doesn't see the crowds as a nuisance. In fact, he sees them as, an, as a way in which there is a harvest. There is a gathering. Remember, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wanted his disciples. He wanted his followers. He wanted us here today at Grace Church to have those eyes to see the opportunity that God has. And in this, uh, this reminder, he repeated several times throughout the Gospels. In fact, one time when he uh, told the Apostle Paul, he told the Apostle Paul when Paul was struggling uh, in, his, in his ministry, he, say, he reminded him to go on preaching in Corinth. And Corinth was a, was a very awful place as far as the way they treated him. But he explained, this is in Acts 18.10, he said, the Lord told Paul, keep preaching for I have Many people in this city. All you got to do is take the, the sickle of the gospel, if you will, and the harvest is going to be plentiful. But, it, but God, in his sovereignty, has designed, the, not only has he designed the end of knowing the elect and the gathering, but he's also designed the means by which those who are gathered into his kingdom. And that means that the means that God has designed is not writing John 3.16 up in the sky, not dropping down little leaflets from heaven with gospel tracts. No, he's designed it in such a way that he's commissioned it to us to be the messengers of this message. How do you know the harvest is plentiful? Because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Yes, he's sovereign, and he's so sovereign that he's working all around us. He's working in people's lives. Uh, you think, well, if I had known that in Madeline Murray O'Hare's life, I would have shared the love of God with her. Well, maybe, maybe not. She had obviously a pretty uh, big defense of letting anybody in. But, but the Bible says that God is at work all around us, and I believe that he's at work in people's lives all around us, we just need to sometimes open our mouths and engage in some little salty gospel conversation, right? And see maybe what God is doing. You know, a simple thing, some of you remember a brother who was here uh, several years ago, Eric Grenier, and one of the things I always appreciate every time I went to lunch with Eric Grenier is he would always, uh, the waitress would come over and he, uh, he wouldn't take time, because that's their job, all right? Don't manhandle them and rope them in around the table, and you're going to pray and lead a Bible study when they're trying to wait on you and got to bring the apple pie to somebody else, right? Don't do that. But he just simply just said, look, we're getting ready to pray, meaning he and I, we're getting ready to pray. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And I only remember one time, we went to lunch a lot of times, one time, and somebody said no, and Eric said, well, how about bigger tips, kind of being... Kind of keeping it light. She said, oh yeah, pray for that. You know, it's amazing that when you just are available to somebody 
uh, and you just sometimes, uh, you're not trying to manhandle them into a conversation or force them, but sometimes it just requires you getting to know them, developing a relationship. God is working all around us, and he's working in people's lives that are all around us. We just need to tap in and find out who those people are. Uh, look at Acts 16, 14, a reminder that it isn't our gimmicks. It isn't winning an argument. It isn't having so many scriptures memorized. Uh, this is Paul in the city of Philippi. You know the, word, the book of Philippians that was written to the church at Philippi? Well, in Acts 16, this is the founding of the church at Philippi. And it was birthed because of a woman who was a God-fearer was converted to the, by the gospel. Look where it reads in verse 14, and it, and it tells us something. Paul says, or Luke rather, writing this account, one who heard us was a woman by, named Lydia, that's the woman's name, from the city of Thyatira, and she was a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple goods, fabrics, and those type of things. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. That means she was a Gentile, but she was a God-fearer. She worshipped the God of the Jews. But then it says, the Lord opened her heart. Anybody that is ever saved is because the Lord opens their heart. It isn't your gimmicks. It isn't your uh, fake track money. You ever see those things? I hate those things. You know, it, it looks like a folded $100 bill, and you open it up, and it's a little gospel track. Don't use those. That's, don't, God doesn't need your deception to win people to Jesus, all right? Uh, don't do stuff like that. Just simply make yourself available, knowing and say, God, open the heart of the people around me. Maybe uh, uh, somebody that I encounter at the gas station or in the store, whatever, maybe just saying, uh, God bless you. Isn't it amazing how many people you say, God bless you, and they'll say, God bless you. You know, it's sometimes ourselves just being available and saying, God, wherever I am, I'm believing you're at work, and you are going to open up hearts. And look what it says, the Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We're still talking about the eyes of Jesus in verse 37. Tells us one more thing we need to have the eyes of Jesus for. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but here it is. Jesus saw the great need for workers when he said, but the laborers are few. You know, I'm not somebody who believes that people, oh, you might get a, a short-term response at people, but I don't think... It's healthy to guilt people into behavior and beat them over the head. We all know, you know, you, get, you, you do a message on prayer, everybody will say, I don't pray enough. You talk about witnessing for Christ, I don't do that enough. I mean, we don't have to, and I'm talking, putting myself at the front of the line. But what we do need to say is, Lord, it's like the Lord has a big help wanted sign out there. Again, God has designed this. Yes, the sovereign God, but he's designed it in which he calls those who have received this message to be the ones that tell this message. And so Jesus saw the need for people that would be willing to serve and laborers for the harvest. He has chosen us to do it. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let 
the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord. Are you redeemed? Then say so. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus wants you to open your eyes and see the great harvest that is around you so that you will be a willing, joyful volunteer in this kingdom endeavor that Jesus has established. So having a heart for the harvest not only means that we need to have the... uh, 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 to be like Jesus, but we also need, secondly, to have the empathy of Jesus. Secondly, to have the empathy of Jesus. We need to feel as Jesus felt. Now, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, you know, is kind of more of the mental ascent. Yeah, there's trouble there. See, those of us, you know, again, you can have sympathy for the needs of the folks uh, in the DR or wherever. You have sympathy. You intellectually, mentally know, yes, there's, there's tremendous needs. But there's a difference between when you know about it and when you feel it. You feel it. Jesus said in verse 36, it says that when he saw the crowds, saw the crowds, don't miss this, He had compassion for them. Or he felt compassion. One version, New American Standard says, felt compassion. You know what? You know what that literally means? It means that he he felt it down in his very guts. It was an emotional, physical response. It wasn't just, oh yeah, that's that's really bad. They're, They're in tough shape. No, Jesus felt it deep inside. He had empathy. He felt compassion for them. You know, sometimes, again, we, we understand intellectually the need, but do we have, do we feel it? Is it part of our sense where we're torn by it? You know, where, where we're just, when we see the suffering and we see the hardship, I'm not talking about just, just tough times, but seeing that people are in this mess that they're in because they so desperately need the gospel of Christ. Years ago, I read a story about a woman missionary who went to Tunis in North Africa where she uh, tried to reach Muslims for the gospel, for Christ. And she met with little success as oftentimes many uh, in that in those countries do, but uh, but she persisted and she tried to love those uh, whom she witnessed to. And uh, she was an English teacher. And one young boy who was a Muslim came to her home every week for English lessons, and she taught him English. And just in conversation in this relationship, she tried to tell him about Jesus, but he was not interested, unmoved. Finally, the summer before he was to go away to the university came and he dropped his English sessions. One day, just before his departure to the university, he came uh, to say goodbye to this missionary for the final time. They had tea together and she told him again of the love of Christ. And while he was polite, he was adamant in resisting the gospel. And at last he bid her farewell and headed down the path through the garden and leading to the outside gate. And here he stopped and he looked back. And when he looked back, he saw his teacher standing in the doorway with tears 
coming streaming down on her face. And this really impacted him. He could resist it no longer. Her tears conquered the rebellion in his heart. He returned back to her up that path into her living room where he trusted in Christ Jesus as her Savior. You see, what words oftentimes don't do. People, what's the old, you know the saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. You see, and sometimes in churches, our witnessing and evangelism has been kind of like we're selling soap. You know, it's, it's, it's gimmickry based on how many, you know, you saved, how many I saved. Listen, you don't save anybody. God does the work, right? And he can do the work with you fumbling through and misquoting Scripture. I'm not advocating that that's a good thing. But you know what? He just needs you not to worry about your ability, but your availability. We need the eyes of Jesus. We need to have the empathy of Jesus. But thirdly, having a heart for the harvest means we need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to do as Jesus did. Jesus demonstrates this in a couple of ways in uh, how he did this. Jesus ministered, like we heard earlier with Sean and the team, Jesus ministered to people's spiritual and physical needs. Ministry wasn't just some stained glass, uh, you know, uh, where we just sent out weekend warriors for maneuvers. No, it was getting down into the actual ministry of serving in verse uh, 35, it says uh, a couple of things here. Jesus uh, uh, went throughout all the cities, verse 35, he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He was teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what's happening there. Maybe just go back or something. Uh, he was teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing every disease. Not everyone, I get, is gifted to preach or to teach. But again, everyone, every Christian should be equipped with enough knowledge of Scripture and being able to understand how to share the gospel. Again, you don't, if you just are familiar where things are in your Bible, but you're, you're familiar enough that when you are given opportunity, when somebody has a need or they come into your life and you're sitting around uh, the lunchroom table or your kitchen table or what it is, and, and they, they make some statement about some issue, and you say, well, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Because most of the time, people will have great bravado at giving their opinions, <clears throat> But when you press up against it, sometimes they have very little reasoning or logic of why they believe what they believe. But not everyone, again, every, is necessarily, I'm not talking about public preaching or teaching, but every believer should be ready with the opportunity. This is exactly what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Oh, that looks bad too. All right, just go back to the other one. I don't know what happened there. 1 Peter 3.15, write it down. This is a good verse. Well, listen, I'm going to read it. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope 
that is in you. Do you hear what he said? He said, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. But he says, always being prepared. 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. But another way we follow the example of Jesus is it's said that Jesus not only went about teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, not only did he do that, verse 35 that we looked at, uh, but he also says that healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus healed the sick. And that we know that that authenticated that he was truly the Messiah but I think there's also an example that we need to keep in mind, too, that not only did Jesus teach them, but he, but he engaged their physical needs in a very practical way. By the way, it's okay to pray for somebody who's sick, in case you need a little tip on that. It's okay. And I've, you know, even times where I've engaged in people in public, I have never had anybody that I've said, they've said something, maybe they just shared, I don't know, whatever the conversation, and they shared something, they were going to the hospital, they have this, they have that, whatever it is, and I say, hey, can I pray for you for, real quick? And they're like, yeah. It's an amazing thing. But not only did he meet in that practical way, which I think is important, praying for God to heal them of their physical need as a witness, as a sign, if you will. But also we can help in practical ways, just like the team showed you pictures of the peanut butter sandwiches and the banana and what else? Soup. Now I guarantee you, now you'll probably do it for spite if I say that. I bet most of you that's not on your menu for lunch. Where are we going to lunch, Mom? Well, we're going to get a peanut butter sandwich and some soup and a banana. But you know what? To those folks, that's going to Longhorn. That's filet mignon. I mean, that's big. That's food. Going to, how many of you are going to go to the Polk County dump and get some groceries this week? You see, we can sympathize. But those who were there, they feel it. They smell it. And so, when we're taking care of people's spiritual we need to also be practical. What did Jesus do? Great example. Before he taught them, in two instances, he fed the multitude. He fed them. It's hard to listen when your stomach is growling and you're hungry. Jesus, his example was he ministered the spiritual and physical. But I think Jesus, we need to obey his instruction in verse 38, where he says, therefore, therefore, based on what I just said, what are you to do? Pray earnestly, with passion, with heart, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus said, if we are to have a heart for the harvest, we've got to have the eyes of Jesus we got to have the empathy of Jesus, where it isn't just an intellectual need, but we really feel the hurting of the loss. We really feel the hurting and the pain of those suffering in their lives, not just, be, not just 
humanitarian needs. No, the, the, Jesus didn't come to just be a hum, humanitarian. He came to seek and to save what was lost. Those whose lives are tragic. Those lives who are destroyed because they do not know Christ. And to be the example. To be the example that Jesus has given us. Having a heart for the harvest.